Thank you, my love. That is my wife, and my name is Simon. I'm the pastor here at Grace City. Uh, welcome. Good morning. Happy New Year. Almost. Yeah, got a lot of people doing different things, and it's always nice this time of the year. You, you get a variety of visitors sort of coming in and out of town, so it's always interesting to see uh, who's going to be here and who you get to catch up with um, around this time of the year, so welcome. Um, if you are just visiting, you are very, very welcome here. If, if, you're, if you're from out of town, you can just ignore this, but if you're, if you're new and you're like, hey, I'm kind of, I'm checking things out, um, I, I think I might want to be a part of this, uh, I'd like to find out more, a special welcome to you. Um, I hope that you find what you're looking for. If not here, uh, someplace for sure. Being a part of a church community is so much more than just attending a meeting on a Sunday morning. It's about uh, uh, investing in people and, and opening yourself up to, to, to be loved and, and receiving from others. And that's why we call ourselves a community or a church family. And uh, we would love to include you in that. Um, you can fill out a connection card, as Shirley said. You can, you can text that number, um, or you can talk to a human being. Um, that's, that's allowed as well. You can talk to me. Um, but definitely find, find a way to, to plug in and get connected, and I hope that you feel very welcome here this morning. Uh, Shirley completely stole my intro. Um, I was going to do the whole highs and lows bit. So, yeah, um, we do that at home, highs and lows, um, it's, and the kids really get into it. It's always amusing to see what they're going to come up with. Judas, our four-year-old, his high and low yesterday, his high was getting to hug mama, and his low, I don't know what to make of this, was getting to kiss mama. So I think it was really meant as two highs, um, but yeah, so highs and lows, 2017. I had, a, I had a blast this year. It was great. We, we did a lot of good stuff. It was an intense year, to be sure. Raise of hands. Who's ready to just move on? Mm-hmm. About half. Who's thinking, like, no, actually, 2017 was cool. Like, let's, I loved it. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm mixed, to be honest with you. Parts of it was like, it's over. I'm alive. Let's, let's move on. Other parts are like, what an amazing year. We had some really, really good times. We planted a church together. You realize that? We, we did that. We, God did this through us. We planted a church. And we're still here. We're alive. We're well. Um, there's a lot to be thankful for and to celebrate, um, given all that God has done this past year. Um, most churches do this, what we're, what we're about to do this morning, and that is have uh, a vision Sunday. Um, I know that there's typically mixed feelings out there when it comes to New Year's resolutions. Some people are really into it. Some people loathe it. I can't really be bothered. Um, I think if, if you're into it, great. If it helps you, wonderful. Um, I, I want to make a case for why, as individuals and as a church family, it's very, very important that we have moments, at least a moment around this time of the year, to pause, to take a step back, and, and to make sure that as we continue on with the year, we're not simply beginning 2018 in reaction to whatever went on in 2017. We want to make sure that we're not simply trying to manage uh, sort of some of the fallout, perhaps if you had some rough moments during the year, 
We're not simply trying to uh, reduce risk or manage our lives as we go into 2018. We want to live our lives. We're not going after the zero-sum game. We're playing to win, as someone once said here a few weeks ago. And that's how we want to approach life. We want to continue to live the way Jesus lived, who, who had a joy that was set before him. He had a vision for where he was going and what he was meant to accomplish with his lives. The writer of Hebrews, one of the books in the New Testament, says that we're to look to Jesus, that we're to set our eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. So as we look to Jesus, he models for us how we're meant to to pursue something that's greater than whatever else happened, good or bad. This last year, there's a joy that God has set before us. For Jesus, that joy was this. It was us. It was, it was certainly to be reunited with his heavenly father, to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God is, is the way the Bible puts it specifically, but to be united with us. Otherwise, he would have never have left heaven. He would have just stayed put. He left his throne beside his father in heaven to go on a rescue mission, to redeem the world, to bring us back into relationship with him and our heavenly father. And that was the joy set before him. And that's the joy that we are a part of. So we're going to take a moment this morning to to step back and say, okay, whatever happened this last year, however you might feel about it, it's not about 2017. It's about this bigger picture, this, this calling, this adventure that Jesus is including us in so that we don't begin to just simply manage our lives, but we live our lives and we continue to take risks and we continue to believe big. We continue to, to anticipate better things to come. Are you guys with me? All right, well, ready or not, here we go. Our vision as a church, let's start. so that's, that's my, uh, my case for vision, why this is important. Um, we need to, to be able to rise up above and look at where we're going and make sure that our course is staying true. Now, as a church, we have a vision statement. Um, it's, it's not new this year, we're not changing it. I hope we never change it. It actually bugs me when churches come up with a new strap line every year because it's like, but we've, the vision, it's still intact. It's right here. It's not changing. Churches may word it differently, and there's a hundred different ways we might articulate the vision of God that we're a part of. We've articulated it this way. We exist so that anyone might experience truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. Much prayer and deliberation went into the crafting of that, that statement. There, there's probably other ways, perhaps even better ways to say it. But I believe that this is the vision of God. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. The world, which I would argue includes creation itself, that he sent his only son, Jesus, to enter into the world, die for the sins of the world, so that whoever believes in him, turns to him, puts their trust in him, would experience what the Bible calls eternal life. And so we are here so that anyone, anyone on planet Earth, 
regardless of where you're coming from, what you currently believe, we're here because we want to see you experience something from the heart of God. And that something is truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. Very quickly, truth and grace. We believe that the Bible is God-breathed. We believe, we believe in truth. As a church, we believe in truth. For example, we believe that every human being is of intrinsic worth. I believe that's true. Objectively, that is true. If you're breathing, if you're alive, you've been created by God in his image and therefore you are valuable. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's an example of truth that we embrace, that we subscribe to. We also believe that the world isn't quite as it should be. Newsflash, we've got problems. The world is broken. Now, not to get super technical on you, but the Bible would put it this way. We are sinners. We're sinners. We have all sinned. We are all culpable. It's not them. It's not that guy. It's not someone else. It's, it's all of us. It's the human race. It's our problem. We're all culpable. We're all sinners. This world is broken because we've rebelled against God, and that is true. We subscribe to that. It's also true that because God loves his creation, because he loves us, he hasn't just decided to stand back and become aloof. He's not a passive, aggressive God. He's a loving God that engaged with the world, entered into the world, and took the world's sin and brokenness upon himself in Jesus so that we could experience new life restoration of relationship, the redemption and restoration of all things. That's truth. That's what we're talking about when we say truth. It's not something that we use to bludgeon people who don't agree with us. It's not something that leaders are allowed to use to leverage or control or to manipulate or to coerce. It's truth because God said it and it's life-giving and it's freeing and we fully embrace it, and we call it God's word. Grace. This is what, this is where it gets fun. Truth, as we find out, it's so much, biblically speaking, it's so much more than a list of sort of propositional statements. It's so much more than just an abstract concept that we can ponder or discuss or debate about, what we discover in scripture, that truth in its essence is actually embodied in the person of God himself, in Jesus. What we discover is that truth is, is, is presented to us along with the grace of God so that we can actually be transformed by it. Grace Oh, if you want to listen to a great sermon on grace, go to the archives, go to the website. Josh White, the pastor of uh, Door of Hope, understand we got a little shout out at the Door of Hope service this morning, I was told. One of you here were, was at the, the 845 service this morning. Where are you at, Greg? There you go, rocking the balcony. Josh gave us a little shout out at Door of Hope this morning, a little shout out back at you, Door of Hope. 
Uh, Josh uh, White, the, the pastor of Door of Hope, preached a sermon here a couple of months ago um, that we entitled Defining Grace. Excellent message. You can listen to that. It's online. But I'll sum it up this way. It's, it's not only the disposition of God. It's not only his inclination to give us undeserved merit, to do something for us even though we don't deserve it. It's also his ability. Grace is described as as God's power to enable us to respond to and be transformed by truth so that we might ultimately experience new life. New life. Because this is the vision of God. That all of creation would be caught up in this great work of redemption that he has started in Jesus so that as we engage with truth, as it becomes real to us in the person of Jesus, by the grace of God, something very real, beyond just a a creed or, or a concept, we can experience new life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. All of that, whatever you think of that, all of that is possible because of who God is and because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. That's our vision. Now, two questions. Number one, how do we do that? Like, so that's, that's all extremely sort of abstract and theoretical, right? Like, how does that actually happen? And question number two, how do we know if it's happening? How do we know if that vision is actually coming to pass? So what is the means by which we attempt to do that? And what is the metrics by which we measure our our success or our fruitfulness? And this is what I want us to think about this morning, my church family. As we go into 2018, how do we do this? And how do we know if we're actually pulling it off? Because this is really important. This can sound really good, and we can all sit and nod or, or whatever you might feel about this. But how do we actually do it? How do we break this down and take it from the abstract to like, okay, let's just talk real life now. Let's forget the, all of the theological terminology, and how does that actually translate to our lives? How do we do this, and how do we know if we're actually pulling it off? That's the question. The means and the metrics. Okay, here's, here's, what I, here's my contention. Here's what I want to convince you guys of this morning. All of that, all that I've just attempted to describe, finds its context in relationships. In relationships. When the Bible talks about new life, I quoted John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and whoever would believe in him, trust in him, they would receive eternal life. John also says, so that was John 3.16 and John 17.3, he goes on to qualify what he means by eternal life. And he says, this is eternal life, that we may know God. That we may know God. Uh, The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, says that there will come a time 
when we'll no longer have to have preachers saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, declares God. Eventually, if we, if we do this right, my job will become totally redundant because I won't need to talk about how we know God and how we experience that because everyone will know him, will be in relationship with him. I love this because let me just let me back up quickly. Relation, you, you guys have heard this before. Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's, it's true, yeah? It's good. It's become slightly cliche. Is that okay to say? Yeah, slightly to totally. Um, which is unfortunate because it's, it's just absolutely true. But this is t- typical to what, what happens when something's true and it gets said a lot and after a while it's like, uh, I've heard that a gajillion times. Um, totally agree. Uh, but have you experienced it? Let, let's, let's take it down one more level. Instead of just talking about relationship, I want to make a case for friendship. Friendship. Because we have a lot of relationships, do we not? We relate to a lot of things and people in, in many different ways. But how many friends do you have? How many friends do you have? I can remember, uh, I've, always had, I've always had a decent amount of friends, which is, it's always felt a bit weird to me because I'm not, I've never seen myself as really outgoing or, or you know, I've, I've always, inside I've always felt very shy, but somehow like I've always just managed, I've always had a lot of friends, except for one year in junior high, middle school, um, seventh grade, Divisadero junior high there was two lunches so they had to break it up like there was one group of kids that do lunch at one hour one group the other hour this one particular seventh grade it's like the height of awkwardness it's it's when you don't want to find yourself without friends i was scheduled for the other lunch for a whole year I was this random kid that was kind of like glomming on to these other kids that weren't actually my friends. It was the hardest year of my life. So I decided to become a pastor so that I would have friends. Not really. But how many friends do you have? And and what does that even mean to you? Friendship. As now we're getting down to the essence. Now we're taking something that's really quite abstract. I'll be the first to admit it and drilling down to, but what what is the context? By what means does God help us to experience that? How is anyone uh, able to enter into that experience? Friendship. How How do we know that that we are being faithful to that vision? How, how can we measure the success or the fruitfulness of that vision coming to pass? Friendship, true, meaningful, lasting, Christ-like friendship, relationship. Three times, Second Chronicles, Isaiah, and James, Abraham, the, the father of our faith, 
sort of the, the archetype, if you will, of, of what it means to, to experience new life in Christ is Abraham. He's called three times friend of God. Just three times. And one time, God himself, by, by the prophet Isaiah, says, Abraham, my friend. Abraham was a friend of God. How about that? Have you ever experienced friendship with God? Do you want to experience friendship with God? I don't know about you, but there's certain people that I'm like happy to just have over to my house, hang out, put their feet on my couch, eat my food. And then there's other people where I'm like, ah. <laughs> none of you guys, none of you guys. You're all welcome to my house anytime. I'm actually pretty easygoing when it comes to that kind of thing. But how would you feel about, what if, what if God was your friend like that? How comfortable would you, would you feel with God just like, oh, hey, I'm in the neighborhood, like, uh, and just pops by, unannounced, knocks, doesn't even knock on the door, just opens the door. Do you have those friends? you have those friends? They don't even knock, they just open the door. Hey, what's up? I love those friends. I love those friends who come in, don't even say hi, go straight to the fridge. You're like, hello? Oh, yeah, hey, what's up? You feeling me? You feeling me, Marco? You come over to my house anytime. We never, we hardly ever lock our front door. If my dog attacks you, not my fault. <laughs> but that's that's friendship. That's an example of friendship. But you guys, you guys, with me? This is the kind of relationship that that this this vision is meant to happen in. This is the means and the metrics by which we pursue and fulfill this vision. Let me read one more verse to you. John 15, 15. This is towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's now been walking with his disciples. He's been teaching. He's been performing miracles. And then now towards the very end, he's beginning to give some of his parting messages and he says this to his uh, disciples, John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, but the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Friends, not just servant, not just student, but Jesus was master and rabbi, but friends. Jesus is saying, we're gonna take it to the next level. We're going to take it to the next level. We're going to enter into a friendship. Friendship is the means by which we fulfill our vision, and our depth of friendship is the metric by which we measure our success. Next slide, please. There it is. If you're, if you're into doodling notes. I love what Thomas Aquinas said. I was feeling quotey in preparation. There's nothing on earth more to be prized than true friendship. There was a 13th century Italian theologian, C.S. Lewis. We live, in fact, in a world starved for solitude, silence and private, and therefore starved for meditation and true friendship. And St. Augustine said, without friends, no one would choose to live, though we had all other goods 
I would say without friends, I don't know if you could say you are living. Because friendship is really what life is all about. When it's all said and done, no matter how much you've earned or how many accomplishments you have, at the end of the day, what we're all looking for and what God is calling us into is friendship with him and with others. That's what life is all about. That's where it gets good. And that's, that's our vision. So, truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. We're definitely not lacking outlets to truth. Okay, it's not like any one of us are like walking around thinking, gosh, I just, I, 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 I desire truth. I, I feel like truth must exist. But where do I go if only I could find a Bible printed in English? Gosh, that would be great. Okay, we... We have no lack of truth. Now, oftentimes we don't recognize it, we ignore it, we marginalize it, we we rebel against it. But if we're looking for truth, goodness, there's some good podcasts out there. I could recommend an excellent book that will introduce you to truth himself. Grace, not a problem. God is not withholding his grace from you or I. He is not holding back his spirit. He says, if you ask, you will receive. He's got more than enough for everything, for salvation and for the life that he has saved you for. His grace is abundant. The problem with the church isn't a lack of truth or grace. It's, it's the widening gap. It's the separation between church and friendship. It's when we forget that there's an actual context that those abstract words are meant to be experienced within. And let me just say this in way of encouragement, because guys, this is not like a rebuke sermon. As I was praying and meditating for weeks building up to this morning, what I felt like God was saying to me, for us, if I can be so bold, is that we're doing really well at friendship. We're doing really well. And I believe that God wants us to build on our strengths and not focus on our weaknesses. And I feel like God is saying to us, I want you to keep running in this direction. I want you to keep, keep giving yourself to one another. Keep investing in the friendships that I've started in this congregation and beyond, for sure. But friendship, this is where God, I believe, is wanting us to continue um, leaning into this year. And so let's talk, about, let's talk about closing the gap between uh, church and friendship. How do, we, how do we take the abstract and break it down in such a way that we experience true friendship? I've got a list of 10 tips for how, how about that? No sermon is complete. No vision sermon is complete without 10 steps for how to improve your friendships. Are you ready? Because 10 is the number of completion. So there you go. We'll go fast. We'll see how far we get. Number one, number one, Jesus is a really good friend. Okay, let's start right there. Jesus is a great friend. If you want to know how to be a good friend, and by the way, can I encourage you to if, make this one, at least one of your New Year's goals to be a better friend This is a lofty goal, a worthwhile goal to become a better friend. And if you want to know what good friendship looks like, 
look at Jesus. He's an amazing friend. When you, when you study the way he interacted with his disciples, those whom he called friend, he's an awesome friend. Um, so start there. Number two, how did, how did Jesus do this? He invested time into his friendships. He said, well, hang on. God is eternal, so he's got plenty of it. Mm, yeah, but God entered into creation. This is the power of the incarnation. God became flesh. God entered into the space-time continuum and limited himself. So Jesus only had as much time as any of us in this room. 24-7, 365, 0.25, something like that. Can't forget leap year. He was limited in his time. He had just as much time as you and I. Let me tell you, if you want good friendship, it will cost you your time. You'll have to take it from someplace else so that you can invest it in an actual person and a friendship with them. It will cost time. Number three, Jesus honored his friends. He honored his friends. What an extreme honor. Now, in that culture, and I'm not a scholar, you guys probably have gathered that by now, but in that culture, in the ancient Near East, for a rabbi to sit down over a meal and look at his disciples and say, I'm no longer simply calling you servants, but friends. That was, that was audacious. That was shocking. That to bestow that kind of honor on your students is radical, absolutely radical. Guys, as a church community, I want us to work on cultivating, within our friendships, cultivating um, a culture of honor. Looking for ways uh, to speak words that honor one another. Uh, finding ways to, um, to build each other up. I'm hugely challenged with this. I have one of the most uh, biting, sort of sarcastic senses of humor you'll ever meet. And it's, my wife, she appreciates it so much. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's bad. I'm, I'm working on it. God's often convicting me of it because um, it, it doesn't honor. It's, it's amusing to me. Yeah. Um, but people need to be honored. People need to feel respected. And we do that in large part by our words, by the way we interact with each other, by the way we come underneath each other and build one another up. That's what Jesus did. Number four, Jesus endured his friends. It says in Ephesians chapter four that we're to bear with one another in grace and humility. Um, God, it's a little secret, but... Some of you in here are super annoying. Just saying it, not, not me, ever. Some of you people, you people. So, so I, know, I know for a fact that I get on some of your nerves. Like you, you just stop trying to hide it. So whatever. <laughs> um, and I greatly appreciate the way you bear with me. I greatly appreciate it. Guys, we need to bear with one another. We've all got our quirks and our flaws and our little things that like just annoy each other. No one is immune. No one's you know, ex exceptional. We all do things. We're like, oh, why do you do that? Why do you do it that way? And we, 
we break friendship. We, we degrade our friendships over some incredibly petty things just because we sort of get on each other's nerves. And the community, the church, the world, suffers greatly for it. Jesus was constantly bearing with his friends. He was bearing with them. He was enduring them. Guys, we need to be patient with each other. We need to honor each other, and we need to, we need to bear with one another because we've all got our quirks that we're working through. Which brings us to number five. Jesus spoke the truth in love to his friends. He spoke truth. He, he was tolerant. He endured. But he wasn't afraid to say, you're wrong. You're wrong. And you need to stop doing that. The way you spoke to that person, um, the way you disrespected your friend, that's not on. The way you decided to put your interests before another, the way you decided to invest your time in that little thing that you valued so much more than that actual person that God has put in your life, that's wrong. That's, that's sin. It's selfish. It's a bad attitude. It doesn't reflect the heart of God. And Jesus would say things along those lines. He would rebuke his friends in love. And sometimes, guys, we, we have to be willing to kind of like suspend the, well, I'm Christian, therefore I need to be nice all the time. Um, because sometimes being nice is actually speaking truth to your friends. And this, I mean, marriage is great for this because after a while you're like, well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. All right, then let's, let's get real. Let's just say what we really think. And the depth of friendship that takes place, it's incredible. It takes a great amount of security. It takes trust. It takes two individuals knowing that I'm not saying these things because I'm just annoyed with you, but because I love you. And I, I see Christ in you wanting to break out. God wants to do something that's gonna, gonna cause you to become more like him in this way. And so we speak truth to each other. We have difficult conversations with each other. Which brings us to number six. Jesus saw redemption within his friends. Friendship within the church, the purpose of friendship, the purpose of, of our vision here is that we might all grow in our likeness of Christ. When I look at you, and of course I see the exterior, I see the rough edges, I see your problems, I see your sin, and you see mine. But then I look a little bit harder, and if you're following Jesus, if you've entrusted your heart to him, I see the spirit of God beginning to grow inside of you. I see Christ beginning to be formed within you. And so I encourage you. I spur you on. I cheer for you. I challenge you. I walk with you. I invest in you because I see Jesus growing on the inside of you. That's super important, especially as we bear with one another. Because oftentimes we're like, you know, you're just, you're just actually sort of unbearable. I know I am. So are you. 
but there's a joy that's been set before us. I've got a vision for you, for our church, for the people I care about. I believe that Jesus is doing something incredible on the inside of every one of us. And in our friendships, I want us to be looking for what Jesus is doing, that work of redemption that's taking place inside of every single one of us. And focus on that. Jesus showed weakness to his friends. It's a scary thing to set aside the facades and say, I'm a mess. I'm weak. I'm so incredibly insecure. I really need a friend right now. Jesus exhibited that probably most vividly in the garden. We talked about that a couple weeks ago where he was sweating blood, crying out to God in agony. And who was there with him? His friends. Jesus served his friends. Jesus ate with his friends. I love that one. As a church, let me make a side note real quick. As a church, um, I don't know when else I would say this, but we've done well with our budget this year. It's the 31st. This is probably a good time to say it. Um, You guys have been extremely generous and faithful with your giving as a church this year. You know when we we planted Grace City Portland? Um, Myself and our finance board um, were very deliberate, very prayerful, and, and very deliberate in setting a budget, setting certain goals to make sure, okay, if we're gonna, if we're gonna rent a building, if we're gonna gather, if we're gonna, if we're gonna proclaim the gospel and be a church, there will be bills, um, which means people will need to give. X number of people will need to give. X number of dollars. And we had all these projections and we, we put it before God and we said, okay, here it is. Help. And so we did. And it's been almost a year now and on a, on a fiscal level, we've, we've met all of our goals and we've remained under budget. And guys, we have been, by the grace of God, we've been faithful and generous in our giving. And you know what we spent a massive amount of money on? Food! And it's super important. It's super important. I wish someone would write a book, I'm sure someone has written a book on the on a theology of food. What is it about food? Is it just that common human denominator, that thing that binds us together? Jesus did it all the time. But Jesus, he ate with his friends. And so will we. We will continue to have a major line item for food in our budget. Because something about food. And finally, this is, we made it to number 10. Jesus pursued his friends. perhaps the most important one. He, he chased his friends. Oh, God is a chaser. He's relentless. And it is utterly one-sided. Needs to be said. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself in a friendship where you feel like, this, this feels slightly like, like I'm kind of doing all of the texting and the pursuing and the engaging and, and this feels sort of unfair? Yes, yes, I'm absolutely convinced everyone has experienced that. Um, Yeah, that's that's friendship, that's friendship. 
And of course, we want to work on that. We don't kind of just live in that, that place. But someone has to do the pursuing. Typically, someone initiates. Someone engages. Someone chases. I've got a friend, even now as I think about it, I feel deeply convicted of not returning his phone calls. Mm, I'm going to call him. He's a chaser, and I'm so grateful for him. Some of you are really good at chasing. Uh, You need to help the rest of us. We need to pursue each other and not feel like, oh, well, I've texted this person twice already, and they've only responded once, so ball's in your court. (laughs) Could you imagine? Could you imagine if if Jesus was that kind of friend? Ball's in your court. We're done. Game over. Guys, this year, as we continue to um, look to Jesus, grow in our relationship with him, I want us to grow in our friendships with one another. I want what would otherwise be utterly abstract and just this nice-sounding Christian-y theory um, to become a reality in our friendships. I want us to go beyond simply relating to one another, perhaps um, in a meeting like this on a Sunday morning, as important as this is, and it really is, I mean that. But I want us to begin building friendships. If you don't have a friend in this room, um, I want you to feel like you're being stalked. I want you to feel like people are pursuing you, like people genuinely want to get to know you. You guys, you guys are with me, right? I'm not saying go stalk people. <laughs> I'm saying let's be like Jesus, and let's be relentless. Can I invite the, the band to come on stage, please? So I don't know, I reckon I've, I've, I've broken all the, the preacher rules this morning. List of 10 to-dos, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, I reckon there was probably one or two things that God would wanna highlight for you, for where you're at. We're gonna worship now, we're gonna take a moment to, to simply reflect and and put our hearts out there and ask the Holy Spirit to um, perhaps highlight some things. Guys, you might even feel inclined to um, repent this morning, which means you recognize I've, I've been this way and I've not really been trusting Jesus and, and I, need, I need to stop that and I need to turn to him and allow him to change my heart so that I can begin to love people um, a bit more like him. It's, it starts with realizing that I need help. We turn to him, we receive his love, and now we actually have something to, to share with others. Um, and that's repentance. I'm hoping that, that some of you, if not all of us this morning, felt like a little challenged for one or two of these points. Like, gosh, like I, I do that. I get easily annoyed with people. Um, I, I, I'm very quick to, to stop pursuing people if I feel like they're not reciprocating. 
And I, I, would, I would want to challenge you. Well, repent. Call, call it what it is. Turn to Jesus. Receive his love, his forgiveness, and then he'll help you. But you've got to be willing to, to turn to him. Can we stand together, please? Thank you for the example that you are to us. Thank you for the grace that you give to us that we might, we might run after you, that we won't just simply subscribe to your teachings, that, but we'll, we will become one with you and become more like you. As we were worshiping, I felt like God was, was prompting me to, to say, some of you in here might be thinking about friendships that are sort of, it's kind of gone by the wayside, Perhaps they've just fizzled. Perhaps, perhaps they've been damaged and broken. And God wants to say, uh, that friendship is important to me. And, and I want to heal it. I want to heal it. I want to I redeem it, restore it, make it whole. In the same way that I, I sent my son Jesus to make our relationship whole again. And so perhaps this year is a year for you to, to return to some old friendships that are kind of kind of died, received damage. I can think of one or two myself. This is not a call to be friends with every person on the planet. That's ridiculous. It's just not possible. But God puts specific people in our lives. He blesses us with individuals to befriend and to be good friends too. So I believe that Jesus wants us to, to do that this year as a church and as, as people. Father, help us. As we go here, we thank you that not only do you call us friends, but you call us sons and daughters, that there is no end to the, to the depth of relationship that you want for us. Thank you that you give us grace upon grace upon grace, constantly transforming us and causing us to become more and more like your sons and daughters like our great and victorious King, Jesus. Father, as we go into the new year, I pray that through us, we would, you would bless the world, that this city, that our nation, that, that planet Earth would be better off your kingdom touching down here in this place, in our hearts and in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a great sunny Sunday afternoon, and we'll see you next week. Happy New Year.